dangerously close. What's up, excellent podcast listeners? This episode was brought to you today by William Mitchell Audio. Righteous. As you are probably aware, I have the North American ambassador of heavy metal as a guest on this episode. Righteous. But if you were a longtime listener of this podcast, you probably remember that certain members of the wrestling community have said that William Mitchell Audio isn't metal enough. Heinous. As the great philosopher Socrates once said, that's probably because those people are too fucking stupid to type www.williammitchellaudio.com into their web browser. So be excellent to each other and go to williammitchellaudio.com. Before we start the interview, here is a clip from today's guest and his band, Hard Reset. This song is called Terminate. By the way, man, I feel like uh, your bio is really short, so I'm going to just embellish just a little bit, if that's okay with you, if you don't mind. That's fine. All right. My guest today is Norman Reagan III, a.k.a. the Screaming Delta Demon, a.k.a. Norman Reagan III Esquire, a.k.a. the North American Ambassador for Heavy Metal. Norman Reagan is a composer and multi-instrumentalist he performs vocals and writes music for hardcore metal band Hard Reset out of Nashville, Tennessee. He runs a studio where he writes, composes, and produces music for various artists. Although he has been immersed in metal for his entire musical career, his real passion is composing video game music, which I didn't know, which is actually kind of surprising. You're the second guest I've had that I had no idea was a video game music composer and like found that out on the podcast. That's awesome. What's yep. up, Norman? Good morning. How are you? Uh, I'm good. Like I said, I haven't slept much, man. So you're going to bring the energy. I'm going to bring the uh, the hard hitting journalistic questions, and you're going to bring the knowledge. Uh, well, I hope it works out. I'm very, very even kill all the time, monotone. So I'll bring as much energy <laughs> as I can. I beg to differ because I've seen uh, your band, man. So I know that you definitely are not monotone all the time. Uh, shit, man. I guess I should bring up. You're kind of like your family's almost like uh, my views are my own podcast, like a dynasty now, because your wife was the guest on episode three, like a, when this mm -hmm. podcast first started. So, which is also good too, because sometimes I have guests on here that like it gets arranged through someone's publicist. And, you know, then I'm like, yeah, sure, that sounds interesting. And they come on and they like, they're like, what the fuck kind of podcast is this? But 
fortunately, you know exactly what kind of podcast this is. So I appreciate you coming yeah. on anyway. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. I remember, I think it was about two years ago that you did the interview with my wife. Yeah, she was, t- she was telling me that she was doing a podcast for a friend who just started one. Is that around the time that you had started? As a matter of fact, dude, it was actually, it's, it was closer than that. It was only just a little over a year ago. This podcast is like just a little over a year old right now. Nope. I, I started it the week that the, they did the, the first pandemic shutdown uh, thing. That was like, that's how, and how this ended up being like a Zoom centric podcast. Cause it was originally going to be like mostly in studio. Mm-hmm. But the Zoom thing has been great because it gives me this opportunity. Like now I speak to people in like Bali and, you know, fucking Ireland and shit. So it's easy. Uh, but shit, Absolutely. man, let's get into this. Let's get into the, uh, this is, this is the metal episode and couldn't have asked for a better uh, expert. So first of all, I want to say that, as you know, you've been selected by my views or my own podcast to be the North American ambassador of metal. And that also includes certain territories that are not necessarily part of the North American continent. So you will be speaking for a lot of people today. And I know it's a big responsibility. So I just want to say thank you for stepping up and taking on this role. Yeah, I did it voluntarily. (laughs) Uh, There's another thing I got to say, though, man, because there's already some uh, there's some international tension uh, right now because Norway has decided to leave the European Metal Union. I believe they're calling it Norwegsit, and there appears to be some sort of populist movement that the rest of Europe is not metal enough to be affiliated with Norway. And if you don't mind, I would like to uh, just read you this statement by the Norwegian ambassador of metal. He said, and I quote, we are thinking in Norway that metal is about some really cool guys getting together to be having fun and making really cool metal music. Americans are not even having enough penis balls to be murdering their really cool bandmates and to be making very metal music. Norway metal is number one. America metal is number two stinky shit. What is your response to that as the ambassador of North America? Oh, that's an interesting statement. I think those are some kind of harsh words, man. I feel like you kind of really do have to step, step up for us. I'm not a very, I'm not one for diving into conflict, but I would have to say we definitely have heavier music when yeah. it comes to metal. We took it the more aggressive route. You definitely took it the more literal by killing your bandmates and stabbing them in the head. And But I would have to say, I guess we can be children about it. You can back out of the metal scene. I, I, don't, I don't know what to say here, except we're just going to keep being metal and aggressive. And we'll, we'll stay over here. We'll visit every other country. Hell yeah. And also, man, I wanted to say, Norway, you're on notice. Unless, of course, you are some of my listeners that I know live in Norway. And then you guys are I, you guys are cool. I totally respect your form of government. I think, uh, you know, we could learn a lot from you. But, you know, your ambassador was way out of line. So let's move on a little bit. See, uh, I, and you have to also remember you're asking a guy named Norman questions about Norway. So am I automatically biased? Am I able to give my real opinions? So yeah. I don't know if I'm working for them. Were you named Norman after Norway? No, no. That was just a joke that didn't land. Okay. <laughs> what are some other famous Normans? Uh, Storm and Norman Schwarzkopf from the Gulf War. Norman Rockwell. Norman Rockwell. He was great. And Norman from Cheers. Or Norm. Norm. Yep, yep. You know, I've only known two 
Normans in my entire life. You're the second one. And I don't know. The first one that I knew just disappeared into the mist. So I don't know whatever happened to him, but he was, he was a fun guy. But like I was saying, you know, obviously everyone knows you as the North American ambassador of metal, but people want to know more about you as a musician as well. So why did you decide to get immersed in metal and have to learn how to like make music when you could have just not had to learn how to play instruments at all and made punk music instead? That's a very good question. Um, so I don't know how I fell into music because no one in my family plays music, not immediate relatives, uncles, cousins. Uh, so I don't know how I actually fell into it. I think one day my sister got a guitar for Christmas and it was like a little cheap Walmart acoustic guitar. I guess one of her friends played guitar and she wanted to pick it up. She didn't really pick it up at all. And I, I guess I touched it and something happened Oh yeah, that this odd calling to come to music. And then it kind of snowballed from there as a teenager, I was into, I guess, heavier music at the time was what new metal around that time. So corn yeah. system of a down limp biscuit, Mudvayne, all those bands were really big. And, and I started learning their songs on guitar. But what's funny about you bringing up the punk thing is that I actually grew up in hardcore, which is a derivative of punk, a more aggressive punk, a heavier style of punk. And I was going to hardcore shows before I actually got in super into metal. And one day it just started playing metal and it started working out. So I've been doing that ever since. It's an interesting thing about like metal musicians that I've noticed oftentimes where like it's uh and not always, but oftentimes you can take a musician out of a metal band and that person could just as easily be a classical musician or like just, it, it's like it attracts the most technically skilled people into that genre for some, for some reason or another, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. Cause with metal music, they take a lot of styles or from a stylistic approach. Um, they do a lot of various techniques that other genres would use. So, Oftentimes I'll find myself playing in different time signatures, kind of like jazz would, where they don't stay on this, this consistent common time signature that's easy to follow um, or using different uh, scales or kind of playing different ways that you would hear in other styles of music and just um, kind of melding the two together to create my own style within metal. And that's actually why I, initially joined and wrote music for hard reset is that I didn't have to think about it anymore. I could just do really simple, heavy stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I find that a lot of metal musicians, if you were to displace them from metal could find uh, it easy for them to learn other styles because they have been playing with the technical or the progressive side for so long. I think, yeah, even uh, earlier on when you were talking about like when you were a teenager and you're for, and like, that that was like during the new metal phase and i was into all those bands too like especially system of a down and that, that's a good example of a band I, I like them for two reasons one they don't take themselves that seriously which makes them mm -hmm. fun but two their songs are like uh they're like journeys <laughs> and you don't find that in like a lot of just rock like a lot of like rock songs especially you know big hit rock songs are very mm -hmm. simple just the song is is like hook verse hook verse hook verse done you know bridge whatever <laughs> yeah and that's why i love system of a down too that was my favorite band growing up and you'd listen to the songs and you'd be really into it and then when you start thinking about the lyrics you'd think well this doesn't make any sense but 
there's something about the music that gets me really into it. So I'm going to sing these really odd lines with this guy. Um, but System of a Down was one of those definitely important and influential bands. A really ironic actually, band. Uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I actually have Darren, their guitar player, had this iconic guitar called the Iceman. And uh, it's really, if you play guitar or you may have seen him play in it, it's, it's a really interesting shaped guitar. And I actually have two of them because I love System of a Down so much. And I use them for writing and for everything I do now. I just have them because of that. Nice, dude. I was, uh, what, I was, what I was saying just right, right before there was the irony was uh, when we were first getting the, trying to get this uh, podcast started and the, we, did, uh, we had an audio issue and you couldn't hear me, I couldn't hear you. I was actually singing System of a Down. I don't know if you could like tell, maybe just, I was going like, wake up. Why don't you put on a makeup? Like, and that was what I was doing to try and like, I just figured eventually the audio would pick up and then you would hear me singing that song. Which was not the case, but it is ironic that that was the song that out of, for no particular fucking reason, I chose to sing uh, while we were waiting for the audio to connect. I think that's awesome uh, that you picked that song. And then their odd song <laughs> names, Chop Suey, like the, the chorus you can grab onto and you know the melody, like the melody is so, uh, it's just, it hooks you and anyone would know what the song is just by hearing the chorus. And then you hear the verse and it's a completely different song, but the energy is still up and it still doesn't make any sense. That entire album is just a, a work of some of the, I mean, it's just some of the best fucking metal and you don't have to be in the metal to like that album because it is so unique. And so like a lot of it is so catchy. But I was like, there's, they have a song that was, I think it's off either Mesmerize or Hypnotize. It's the one where they're, it's called, uh, I think, Dancing in the Desert. And it's about the Iraq War. And it goes from like the most like intense uh, like riffs in him, like screaming about why, you know, why don't presidents fight the war? Why, why do we send the poor? And then it just turns into like a really disco dance fun song where he's just like, the song's like five minutes long and it's like four songs intertwined. Yeah, BYOB. I think that's what yeah, you're BYOB. Bring your own bombs. Yeah, bring your own bombs. <laughs> yeah, because when you said the name, I was thinking to myself, I was like, ah, I feel like I'm not very much of a fan because I have no idea what he's talking about. And then it made it made sense. But yeah, I I've always thought they were really political. I I guess I never caught onto it when I was younger, a teenager or whatever. But the older I got listening to them, you could definitely hear uh, the messages, their political messages, and I guess they're. Uh, they're just opposition to it. So I've grown more to like them because of that influence from them as well. And they're relevant today. That's uh, one thing I really like about that. Like, you know, you can listen to a, a song that they came out with in what, like 2002, and it is exactly relevant to what's happening mm -hmm. right now in 2021. Like, cause it, you know, I mean, shit doesn't change. That is a thing, you know, but like the talking, you know, the, the, the prison song where they're talking about the prison industrial you know, complex, that's only gotten worse since they wrote that song so it's still you know uh the what the pushing little children with their fully automatics like the talking about these uh you know abusive uh like police states uh putting down popular uprisings so i guess history yeah. re repeats itself <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah the incarceration rate is is definitely something to be concerned about and um something you may not know about me is i'm finishing my bachelor's in criminal justice right now I didn't know that. And yeah, and the more I I dive into educating myself, especially from that standpoint, the more depressing it gets because I have my own I have my own um, quarrel with way certain law enforcement 
handles itself and the way the government handles itself. And then the more I look into the incarceration rates and why it's that way, it's, it's actually interesting. They don't teach it from a perspective that it's a good thing that we're incarcerating so many people and that we do need policy changes. It, it's, it can be definitely depressing to look into. It's something that absolutely needs to change. What's, uh, what's your plan, man? What's the path? I, so I mean, like, when you're done, when you're done with school and you're like, and you're kind of like, in that uh, arena, like what do you, uh, what do you plan to do? Well, first thing is be happy. I don't have to do it anymore. Uh, oh, yeah, some, yeah, <laughs> some of my free time back. Uh, see, that's, that's where I'm kind of conflicted now is because I do, I do believe in some capacity that law enforcement is very important, not necessarily from the, the position of, from the position of public service is absolutely important. Um, but I think more, uh, more, the more I've looked into it, I've wanted to move into the child protective service aspect of it, uh, even I mean, though that's couldn't, not, couldn't pick a, couldn't pick a more important thing to do, honestly. Yeah. Even though that's not really law enforcement, it's more like social work. Um, but now, the more I think, I've been doing uh, it to, to your point, uh, and I think, I mean, you were kind of heading down that path and I, I just interrupted you, but. What, what uh when you were saying like the police are important like I, I i'm not one of the people i'm not saying that we don't need to have fucking cops for the reasons that we do need though you know for violent crime and you know when homicides happen I, we want to have homicide detectives these are not what people mean by defund the police what they mean is reallocate funds away from things that are like you know buying tanks for local police stations instead of doing that reallocate those funds to child protective services so that they have the resources they need and also, as as everyone's always saying, to mental health resources. So when there's uh, a mental health crisis, you don't have a cop just go shoot a person who has had uh, an episode and they or they've uh, forgotten to take their medication and they're you know mm-hmm. and the cop freaks out and kills a guy. You know that's it's a story that happens every fucking week. So that's what people mean by defund the police. They don't mean that we're trying to make it where there's literally no law enforcement. We're trying to say that this money could be much better budgeted and managed. Absolutely. No, and I'm in complete agreement with you. And I know that the idea of being a police officer, which I I don't want to do that, or the idea of law enforcement is kind of a a trigger word now because it it's people are very polarized when with the way they feel about it. It's like there's this extreme where we need them and you're terrible if you don't support them or they're terrible and they need to go away. Um, and I think the there is a more common middle ground where, yeah, it's, I think it's a vital piece of society, but how can we manage it better for the safety of the public so that people aren't dying unnecessarily. Um, and these mental health cases where the police come out to investigate or respond to a call that the person doesn't end up dying because they don't have the proper training to deal with someone who's having a mental episode. And I think uh, going back to like, you know, it's there's also a lot, like a lot, a lot of reform that could really work. And one of them would be, you know, the people, what people bring this up is like the bygone days of when a cop would walk a beat. And that's what, you know, that's where like the term came, you know, came from a, a cop having a beat. And that per that, that one individual cop would know everyone in that community on some level, or at least be, you know, the people will be familiar with that particular police officer or, you know, two, if they have a partner like, and for instance, I have a police station right here in my neighborhood. I don't know the name of a single fucking cop. And they, you know, because they just drive around me in patrol cars. <laughs> like, 
Right. So there's, there is no, uh, there's no humanity to it. Like, I don't, I don't feel like any kind of connection to these guys. Or like I know any of these guys. So that is right. Bizarre, and that, right. Wouldn't that be yeah, like, right. And they, uh, they automatic, I guess it's, it's natural for them to automatically feel like a threat when they come to talk to you. Cause if they're coming to talk to me, then obviously I'm in trouble for some reason. And, and with everything going on in the world right now, I guess people are a little more hesitant to, or the way it seems, you know, the media blows things out of proportion all the time. I don't see everything in the entire world. So I have this small perspective of any issue that's currently occurring. But community policing, I think, is is really big, is where people in the community know who their police officers are in case they do need them for whatever reason. They don't feel just like this, this threat when they come to respond to calls or they feel scared to contact them, but, you know, rightfully so in some aspects. But uh, I, I have my own gripe with the the big media and all that as well. So, yeah, you know, actually this, this reminds me of when I was in school and we had a, we had a school cop and it was like one of the times like where I like, it was a cop that I found, like I didn't find him in any way intimidating and I had nothing against him. And I think it's cause he spent all day long in a school with the, these high school kids getting, getting to know them and just, and like just kind of learning to just chill. I think, I think cops that have to do that job that are the ones that do it well, learn how to chill the fuck out. And so, and he, like, I got in trouble. Like he had to come get me out of class a couple of times. Cause I would, uh, they would call me to the office and I just wouldn't go. So they'd actually sent, sent him to like, come get me, I think twice. And neither time was I like, Oh no, a cop. I was like, Oh, it's this, this man that I've spoken with before, you know, he's like not going to shoot me or, you know, he's not going to arrest me. It's, this is, you know, this is our, so I, I don't know. I like, that's, that's a really touchy subject because you, I'm not trying to advocate filling the schools with cops <laughs> right but you trusted him right so when he came yeah. to the classroom did you get up and go because yeah, you trusted like, him or uh, did well, you first of all i'm not gonna like try like is that you know what are you gonna do like try to escape the because <laughs> i mean i've run from the cops a lot you skateboard too right yeah yeah I've, I've run from cops so many fucking times in my life and i've gotten away most of the time so i have you know no uh no fear of running from them <laughs> there uh that was that was a thing when we were teenagers you'd find a spot you know you weren't supposed to be in yeah. and then someone would see the car pull up and then everyone would run but i think just seeing the car was more than enough to get kids to leave spots i don't know how it is nowadays because i go skating spots i know i'm okay that i'm not going to get hurt at because i'm older yeah but have you been to the pump no more where is that at oh dude uh do you know where mlk uh martin luther king high school is in Nashville, yeah, I think so. Uh, shit, I'm having a hard time. You know what? Most people are not going to fucking care about if I tell you the exact address. I'll send it to you later. But uh, it's by MLK High School, and it's you know there's there's a lot of bikes there sometimes. But if you go kind of like in the middle of the day, there's no bikes, and it is fun as hell, dude. It's just a dope ass pump track. It's asphalt. You can do a lot of shit. My my buddy did a blunt to fakie because it's got little uh. They were, I don't think they were intended to be quarter pipes, but they just kind of mm-hmm. ended up being that way. So you can get a lot of like dope shit in there. Uh, you can get a lot of airs. It's, it's a fun ass spot. And like, like you're saying, you know, being a little bit older and not wanting to fuck yourself up too bad. It's a great thing mm-hmm. to skate. Oh yeah. No, that sounds awesome. I was always a stair and gap person. Yeah, me too. So going down stairs was my favorite thing. I think a couple of years ago I went down a four or five set and realized that I'd, I probably shouldn't do this anymore because taking (laughs) 
taking 13 consecutive slams is not like it was when we were teenagers or we just pop right back up and go do it again. Yes. Yeah, uh, I've torn both my MCLs. Uh, one was, one was snowboarding, not skateboarding, but whatever. The point is I'm at a point where uh, I'm a lot more interested in skating transition than I am in throwing myself down a fucking set of stairs. <laughs> but normally- glory days are behind us. <laughs> I refuse to believe that because I'm gonna get I'm gonna get John Cardiel style on these fucking uh, transitions. But I'm gonna have to ask you to put your metal ambassador hat back on for a second, man, because we've got some like because I mean this is the metal episode. It's not the skateboarding episode. We're like here to learn about metal, man. And All right. you might think that this next question would be really the responsibility of the European Metal Union, but politics are messy, and this has technically become your responsibility. So. There was a very large part of the metal community that thinks that it was not very metal for Ozzy Osbourne to humiliate himself on television for years, acting like a befuddled moron sellout. Can you please defend Ozzy Osbourne to the world? Are we talking about his TV show with his family, Uh, the Osbournes? Well, you can't really defend the TV show because that is just trash, but you can defend the man. I will say this. Okay. So in response to that, we're looking at Ozzy Osbourne, who has been a figure in metal since what the fifties, the sixties, when, when the first black Sabbath album came out. So they pioneered a lot of our heavy music. Like if you listen to some of those guitar riffs back then, you would hear where a lot of people have, uh, have taken influence from that, from that band. So how he progressed in his life where he is now, no one has really the the authority to say he's not metal enough at all for doing what he does because his band came up with some of the heaviest riffs that influenced so many people. So I'm going to say that his influence on the metal, on metal music and the metal scene is incalculable. And, and that's it. If it wasn't for him, then we probably wouldn't have a lot of the metal we have now. Granted, he didn't write the wrist, but he still was the front man for those heavy bands. And you got to think, man, at that time, like when they were when they were first getting big, they were scaring the shit out of people because people had never heard that kind of music. Hold up. It's time for an ad. The My Views Are My Own Products and Services Department has released a brand new invention that I am pleased to announce. Are you tired of coming home and it being so boring? Well, guess what? Now your home can feel just like an episode of Full House or Fresh Prince of Bel-Air or even Frasier. That's right. Introducing the My Views Are My Own in-home laugh track system. But this system does more than just laugh at your hilarious jokes. (laughs) It also awes at adorable moments. And cheers when you enter a room. And it even has a feature for when you do something naughty. I wouldn't lie to you. I use this system in my very own podcast studio, and I am a very satisfied customer. Here's a random recording from a random day in my real life. Let's see how it goes. Hey, what's up? I'm here in the studio. Did you miss me? (laughs) Well, I hope you know you're late for bingo night. Again. Sorry I'm late. I found this baby on the side of the freeway. 
Aww. A baby? Can we keep it? <laughs> of course. <laughs> I hope we don't lose it. <laughs> we won't. Not this time. This has been one of the greatest life enhancement systems I have ever installed in my studio. If you'd like to get one of your own, go to myviewsaremyown.com today. And now back to the interview. I think uh, I want to go back to like in the very beginning when I was giving you some AKAs and I called you uh, Norman Reagan III Esquire. And I think that some people might have thought that was an homage to Bill and Ted. But actually, it was that I thought that you would be doing some legal representation during this podcast, which you have been doing. And that's actually what the Esquire was for. So and the funny thing was, I had no idea that you were even uh, educating yourself in the criminal justice system. So you truly are like an Esquire. <laughs> now, I, I thought it. So I had when you said that I came up with two reasons you had said that one, because Esquire sounds sophisticated and I'm a third. So I get that a lot. Or you were referencing Bill and Ted. Uh, yeah. And the thing is like, you know, like with my name being Doug, you know, how many goddamn times, like how sick I am of hearing people sing the Doug theme song to me uh, from the cartoon. I don't, I don't ever want to hear it again. I don't, I don't even want to like, and that was probably a good cartoon. I don't want to see that cartoon again because I've heard people sing that song at me. So I feel like a person like you has probably had to uh, endure the uh, Bill and Ted reference. I'm going to guess 500 times. So it's funny because I've never had the Bill and Ted reference except for you. And I would have never associated the Doug theme song with you. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, you know uh, what I get mostly. So the, this is the nickname that I get just about every job I ever get is people start calling me Dougie fresh, which I don't mind because that's an homage to, you know, a, a great figure in hip hop. So whatever, man, you can call me Dougie fresh, but don't sing that song to me. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> also. Hey, I can't, I can't say that. I mean, your your defense of Ozzy Osbourne could not have been more well put. Uh, oh, thank you. Here's a guy you're probably not going to be want to defend, but it's another ambassadorial question. Is that a word? Ambassadorial. Yeah, well, Sounds good enough. Someone will someone will DM me and let me know that it wasn't. If it wasn't, the lead singer of German techno metal band Rammstein used to pull out a big fake penis on stage and use it to squirt fake jizz all over his audience. Is that a metal thing to do? A techno thing to do? Or is it just German? That, uh, that's an interesting question. Um, and I'll come back with saying Guar did some of the very, did something very similar where they would pull out a, a fake penis and I believe they'd shoot something similar to that or they'd shoot blood or something, something in, in that realm. I don't know if that pertains to just German bands. I would no, say it's yeah. pretty, I would say it's pretty metal. It is pretty fucking metal. Yeah. It's pretty metal. <laughs> and, and, and speaking of Guar, Guar is probably my favorite metal band. Aside from what I said earlier about System of Down, like they're very fun. I like them a whole lot. But like I got I got immersed into the Guar mythology. Mm -hmm. I cared like about their story, about them like coming to Earth as gladiators and becoming like drug addicts and like sex addicts here and like and it destroying their like once noble heritage. Every album is like, it's just a, it's great. It's like uh, the epic stories like by Homer, you know? I love, I love Gort. Oh, no, I was going to say R.I.P. Oedipus Arungus. Is that? Can't fucking remember his that, name. The lead singer, he died. What? 
couple years ago. Mm-hmm. I saw Guar at Warp Tour. I was working a booth with a, a good friend of mine because he was running a he had a clothing company at the time, and I was running a booth. So I would step away to see different bands that were playing that day, and I went to see Guar, but I knew to stand in the very back yeah. because I wasn't going to get showered with anything from the penis. Yeah. <laughs> so, but they were they were a lot of fun to watch, especially because like in Warp Tour, you're outside in the hot sun, and you didn't want to be covered in like guar slime for the remainder. I think uh, that happened. I think they played Bonnaroo where a lot of people had no the fuck idea what was like, what they were, why they were getting close to us to a guar stage. And then, you know, Bonnaroo, you're there for like days and you can't take a shower. So watch out when you see guar, man. <laughs> isn't, isn't that like a thing that people look forward to when they go to Bonnaroo is not showering. I don't know. You know, I've never been to Bonnaroo. Me either. Uh, I've just been to a, but I've been to a lot of warp tours. You know, that's, I was actually really bummed when they discontinued those. Cause that's, that's my style of festival is one that lasts for a day. And then I leave, I don't, uh, I don't want to camp and like get up and do it again. And, uh, to speak on uh, Bonnaroo, it was actually, I saw that, I don't know if a lot of metal bands had played it. Cause I wasn't too familiar with Bonnaroo, but there were these under, not really underground, but. I believe if you've heard of a band called Animals as Leaders played Bonnaroo one year, and I thought that was really neat. So that's that kind of stands out to me like Guar because I'm always pictured Bonnaroo to be more of a mainstream yeah. type of event, you know, especially with their their oddities. I, I'm sure they have a lot of people that go there to partake in substances to enjoy themselves a lot more for a whole weekend or however long it extends. Uh, but I thought Warp Tour was awesome too because it was a uh, it was a different type of festival for, you know, metal or pop punk or hardcore to come through that we wouldn't normally get. So I miss I've, it as well. I've never been to a warp tour and not had fun. It's always, I've been to warp tour in Nashville and warp tour in Phoenix. I've been to warp tour in New York. Uh, and it's just like the energy, you know, and like, I, I was, I was lucky. Cause like, I was really, especially when I was younger, I was going during the era when like you had a lot of like when like rancid was at their absolute mm-hmm. peak and they're so fun to see live regardless of what if people want to say they're you know punk's a weird thing because you get a lot of people being like they're not as punk as fucking whatever leftover crack or it's like shut the fuck up man i'm trying to have fun <laughs> yeah the more popularity a band gains the less they are their genre i've come to learn through any style of music so that's happened with a lot of hardcore and metal bands is if they get a lot of notoriety the people that felt that it was so niche to like them will just stop liking them at that point for whatever reason or another i find that to be one of the most appalling things about uh music fans like and it's it does it obviously does not apply to all people but like if you if you find an artist that you truly like and they're you know very underground and not many people know about them and I, I get it. Like, I think some people like maybe like start to feel this like sense of like, this is mine. Like I found this and this is my thing. But then for, when that person finally uh, achieves success and they can make a career out of their art that you supposedly like, and then you're like, they're fucking sellouts. Like, get the hell, like that's uh, I feel like people that uh, feel that way should really take deep look at themselves and be like, why are you? Why do you feel that way? Why do you hate to see the people you love succeed? You know, that's a a dark way to be. Uh, And I might be completely biased, though, but I celebrate success for anyone. Um, And I think 
most of that is insecurities too. And that's just my opinion. I could be completely wrong about that. But if I see someone, you know, regardless of art form that is able to make a career out of it, it's a, it's a win and we should celebrate their successes because all of us want to be able to make money doing what we love. It's just, it, it seems unnecessarily cruel to, to hate on people or be mad at someone for making money, maybe in the mainstream way, doing what they love or being successful. So I've never understood the concept. I think uh, one, one personal thing for me is that, yeah, I'm a, I was a big fan of atmosphere, you know, for, for like since way, since the, since like Lucy four, like since he first came out with this first album and uh, I saw him for the first time at exit in. And back then he was, you know, he's also just a really cool guy and he likes to support the other artists that he works with. So he came out and he was standing in the crowd and uh, he was standing right beside me. It took me a minute to realize uh, it was Slug was standing beside me. And it took me a moment to realize it. I was like, oh shit, it's Slug. And I was just like, you know, I wasn't being a, you know, a freak, but I was like, hey man, I'm, you know, I'm a fan. Like, that's cool. And he's like, he's like, what do you think about this uh, group? It was like some rap group that I had never heard of. And I was like, I, th- I think this is great. And he's like, yeah, this is really awesome. And like, so it was nice. I got to have this conversation with him because he was very accessible. He would come stand on the floor with the audience at that time. And then the last time I saw him was at Municipal Auditorium. And there, he was opening for Pretty Lights and there was, fuck, I don't know, 20,000 people there. And I never would have had an, an opportunity to, like, for him to like come down to the, the floor and talk to me. But I wasn't like, fuck this guy. <laughs> fuck this, this group for being successful. I was, I was happy to see him, how he'd, he'd grown over the years. So. And I think, I think with you even saying that as an artist, it's so important to be personable and accessible and to speak with people when they take the time out of their day to talk to you. Um, and just to kind of speak on that a little bit and plug myself. Uh, so with hard reset, we get messages a lot or I'll get them to my personal page because I'm the, the front man. So it, it, it happens probably a lot more to me because they see me more often than they would see the other members, not that they're not just as important or valuable because they absolutely are. Um, but I run the Instagram, the Facebook, and I answer every message that comes in. Every story mention we get, I respond to it. And I make sure that everyone knows how appreciative we are, that they even took the time out of their day to show any support at all. And I think that's extremely important as an artist is because they don't have to do that. Yeah, They do that because they want to. Um, and we should be very grateful that they even give us the opportunity to speak with them about their support for us. So I think that him doing that and talking to you and being so accessible is awesome and very, very crucial as an artist. Yeah. And, and, and not to, uh, I mean, just, uh, this is just jumping off of what you just said, because like, I get like, I'm not trying to pretend that being a podcaster is the, is being an artist or whatever, but people do like go out of their way to like, uh, send me nice messages. You know, they send me like DMs mm-hmm. or whatever. And like, that shit makes me feel really, really happy and good. I'm like, oh, cool. This person, because they'll say like, hey, I listened to episode whatever. And they're like, that was dope. Like, good job. And, if, you know, if it's like from a random stranger, that should make my day, man. It makes, it makes me happy as fuck. So it's like, I mean, I couldn't imagine being the kind of person that would be like, yeah, I am fucking great. And then I'm not gonna, like, <laughs> not going to say thank you and, you know, want to know why you liked it. I don't know. Does that make sense? No, you, you absolutely are an artist. So even though podcasts, you're not doing traditionally writing music or doing anything like that, it's still art and it's your own form is how you conduct your podcast and the people you choose to be on it is its own art form. So I think it's awesome that people are able to connect with you in that way. Um, 
dude, I actually want to take a, a quick kind of like little left turn right here to something else because like I said in the beginning that, you know, I didn't, that I knew that you, uh, that obviously you were a musician and a composer and all this stuff, but I did not know about the, the video game composing thing. So mm-hmm. let's step away from metal for a moment and also from uh, some of the other tangents we were on. And uh, on the video game thing, how about this? Just for fun, on the count of three, we'll both say our favorite video game of all time. Does that sound doable? Okay. Do you have one? I mean, if you don't have a favorite, mm-hmm. I mean, I, some, I know some people are like, oh, I can't pick. Okay, you ready? Oh, yeah. All right. One, two, three. Final Fantasy. Final, Final Fantasy. Fantasy. <laughs> I, knew I knew you were going to do that. I watched you too. <laughs> Man, I, it's a good I, thing could, I could, I could see, see in your eyes that you knew that's what I was going to do. I was going to try and use that as a way to pretend like... Uh, <laughs> All right, moving on. No, man, uh, my favorite favorite of all time is going to have to be, and I've heard a lot of great stuff about Final Fantasy. I've just never played it. Mm -hmm. I think my favorite one I ever played, so there's two two gens, because there's like the, like, my favorite game of all fucking time from a kid standpoint, like when I was a very little kid, is Sonic the Hedgehog. Mm -hmm. But like, uh, Mm -hmm. from like an older game, like, was this still not any, it's still not recent, but was the, Wolverine game they made that was after they did Wolverine Origins. That was a really well-made game. It was really fucking fun. The uh, what the fuck am I trying to say here? Oh, what would you say are uh, some of the differences between composing music for a video game and scoring a film? So I think the the difference would be. See, that's a hard one too because they're they're very similar. Um, well, scoring for a film, you don't really touch the music you don't really come back to later at a later time. So if I can compare two, so role-playing games are similar to, to cinematic movies because they progress through a story and a feeling. Well, with, I guess with cinema or movie scoring, you know, often will come back and do a motif, which if you're unfamiliar with the term is to play something or take a piece of music and play it again at a later point in time or or do something to it to make it a little different to fit that scene i think movie scoring is more for the actual scenes in the movie itself rather than the story yeah a lot of the time when with composing video game music <clears throat> it's based on that character or that story or that place you're in right at that moment um, or the feeling of that moment right then with that character. And then maybe later on in the game, they'll do that same style of that song, but in a different way to correlate with the atmosphere of the the part of the game you're playing in right there. But I think they're very similar in a lot of ways too. Like, uh, I think maybe what you mean by the mo- the motif is like style is that uh, you take the, the one piece of music and you know, like you said, it correlates to something that's happening early on in the game. And then you uh, you'll bring it back, and that's what it's doing is it's like psychologically preparing you for the fact that you're going to be the next section of gameplay is going to be familiar. Is that like to what you already did? Something kind of like that. Yeah, I would say that's that's pretty accurate. So it's uh, it just prepares you to, I guess, psychologically because it's something similar is going to happen with a character or something that happened previously. Um, so in Final Fantasy, they did it a lot. He's my favorite composer of all time. He would do it a lot where he'd take one melody from one section and he would use that melody in multiple different pieces. And it all sounded familiar. But at the time, I wasn't picking up that it was the same melody because he did it in such a brilliant way. 
but it, um, I think it's all psychological, like you had said. And I think, uh, kind of like looking at it from that, from the perspective, like about how you're saying, cause you know, for a video game, it's interactive. So it, it also, you know, they're trying to put you into a particular kind of mind state or mood, uh, with the music mm-hmm. because of what's going to be happening with the gameplay that you're interacting with and what will be different. And I think the Godfather is a good example of a movie that has, you know, obviously has one of the most, uh, recognizable theme, I guess, theme music. So when you, when that movie starts, it's like, like the, da, na, na, that fucking the, the Godfather music, <clears throat> but what they do is, uh, during that movie or like oftentimes they'll play the music as like it sets a mood for a scene but it's not setting you up for a mood for mm-hmm. a scene does that make sense like it's mm-hmm. uh it's like just like for instance like when he when he kills fredo they play the music and you're like fuck you know it's like supposed to uh create like a dark brooding feeling and i'm sure there's yep. other examples it's just godfather's the one that popped into my head yeah and that's that's what's so amazing about music and Video game music is actually probably the reason why I started playing music. And you mentioned Sonic earlier. Sonic is absolutely my favorite game from Sega. Um, and I would listen to the music as a kid when I'm playing Sega and think, well, how do they do that? That sounds crazy. Like, I would never be able to do this. Like, how do they make this music? And then I end up, as an adult, revisiting those and doing my own metal covers of Sonic the Hedgehog because it was such a, it made such a huge impact on me musically. So that's one of my favorite games of all time too. Yeah. That's, and, and even, even with something with like Sonic, which is what, you know, which is far more simple and the music is very simple. And like in the, every level it's that whatever song it is, like that song plays continuously through the entire level. But even, mm-hmm. but also that was an earlier time. But what it does is like, when you get to that level, that music makes you realize what level you're on. And then it can be the kind of thing, like for me right now, like if someone were to play Hilltop Zone, just the music, I would go like Sonic the Hedgehog, Hilltop, Hilltop Zone, or like, you know, Casino right. Zone. Like it wouldn't, you know, none of that would, uh, it wouldn't like, it, it's probably buried so deep inside because right now I can't think of how the music would go. But if I heard it, I would know precisely and I would visually see it. You know, that's, mm-hmm. that is like the power of music. I have a, yeah. another question. I think that, uh, I think I you might have already answered to this with what you said just before, but I could be completely wrong on that. And it's just that, because you just said your, your favorite composer was the composer for Final Fantasy. But if you could take over the role of composing for any video game franchise, which one would you pick? Oh, man. Um, that's that's a really hard question to answer because I feel like games have evolved in such a way that it 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 takes... it's moved away from the type of music that I feel like I would want to compose for. Because as I see a lot of now, especially with these new games that have amazing graphics and the, the sole focus is on how it looks or catering to the player, I don't necessarily feel, and I could be wrong, this is just my perspective and growing up with the video games I did and maybe not ready to move on to something else. Uh, I just don't feel like the aspect of emphasizing the music is as important anymore, but that's hard to say because if I love the franchise so much that I feel like the composer already did such a good job, I, I, w- I guess I would have to say if something happened to the composer for Hollow Knight, which is a platformer game on Switch and Steam, and it's it really revisits the the 2d platformer with amazing music. If something happened to him and 
and they were looking for someone else, then I'd probably take over that because they're just in their first game and they're about to move into their second. That'd probably be that game. All right. If you guys are listening, the people that produce those games, Norman is available <laughs> to compose your new music. And actually, also, uh, if anybody at Rockstar is listening, I have an idea that I've thought of uh, for myself. And you, just, you just made me rethink this. And it's that, uh, you know how when you're playing Grand Theft Auto, I don't know. Have you played Grand Theft Auto? I did a lot when I was a kid, the third one a lot. So uh, you recall that like whenever you're in a car, you can change the radio station and, they, and it's got like, they do a great job. It's got like 17 stations or probably in that game, maybe, but some of them are talk radio stations and they're, when they're really bizarre, if you like, if you listen closely, like they're very funny and really well-written and I would love the opportunity for the, like, if they make a Grand Theft Auto six for, to get tapped for that, to be like, all right, we need you to record like 30 hours of my views are my own uh, to just put into this game so that if anyone switches to that channel on, the, on their car, there's like, there's that much content. I would fucking do it in a heartbeat. So rockstar, if you're listening, I will do the podcast on your, uh, on your, uh, stolen car shit. So <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to start a podcast just so we can have an episode and I can say the same thing so that we have two people asking them to put you in there. In their video yeah. game, <laughs> and also if you're listening uh, to this podcast, uh, you know out there in the universe, be sure to write to your local senator, congressman, you know, president. Let them all know that you want my views are my own to be the podcast that they choose for uh, Grand Theft Auto Six. Let's let's go ahead and start a movement. Hold up, it's time to check the mailbag. Every week on the show, we check the mailbag to see if anyone has written a message to the show, and then we read that message out loud. This week's message comes from David and Bogan Janet Bob. <clears throat> David and wrote, I'm easy to chat with. I like fun, but do not try the shot with me. I'm a block your asshole. Fuck you. Fuck you. All right. I will not try the shot with you, David and. And I really am glad that you're a fan of the show. Thanks for writing into the podcast. And now back to the interview. I guess moving back to like, this could be like metal, but it could also, this honestly could be anything. It's really just a question about like just having fun and, and maybe a story that you might feel like sharing. And it's just that, uh, you know, what's the most fun you've ever had making music. And that could be, you know, like a live show or in the studio or like in, in between, even like on a tour, like, do you have like a, just a, time where you were like hell yeah i mean i'm doing the right thing with my life because it's this fun i actually have that a lot if it's hard to narrow down a specific instance where that happened because i just feel so grateful all the time that i i can do what i do and i get to do it so if i was to narrow it down i guess it's a really hard question um i'll go with playing for now because i could probably have multiple answers for this but for now is playing shows with hard reset and the reason why is because I've, I've been in so many metal bands up to this point and I played music for so long that I finally took a turn to where it's just about having fun. So Hard Reset was never supposed to be a serious band and it turned into something a lot more than I ex ever expected it would to where we're shipping orders, you know, out of the country or we're shipping all over the country all the time. And I think that's I think it's incredible and extremely fortunate. So grateful that these things are happening. But for one of the first times in my life, when I get on the stage with these guys, we're not there to be serious or impress anyone. Like we're just happy to be there with each other. 
Yeah. And it's all about having fun. We never bicker with one another or quarrel, or if there are any issues, we're adults enough to talk about it. So no one ever holds grudges or feels like their voice isn't important, which is ex- extremely important, especially when you're working in that group dyna- dynamic. It's kind of like a, a small business in itself. And everyone needs to want to be there and not feel obligated. But playing on stage with them and the response we get, we every time we play, we have people wanting to come onto the stage and sing the songs or jump off the stage or just get really, really uh wild and just that response has made it so much more fun and you know throwing in the variables of it not supposed to be serious and just the fact that we can impact these people in such a positive way has probably made it the most fun for me yeah fun is the magic element too because you know if you're on stage and you are having fun people pick up on that and you know they like you're having fun and then they're having fun like that's it really is like a a transference of energy i i believe no absolutely i think performance is is everything too. So when we get on stage, it's important for us to just be ourselves and in that moment have such a good time. And I'll do things like I'll, uh, while, while everyone's playing, I'll go up to our bassist Elijah or one of the guitar players and I'll kiss him on the cheek while we're playing this really intense, heavy music, you know, focused on mental health and talking about killing myself in these songs. And I'm over there, you know, being affectionate yeah. with our members. Um, so I think it's just really important for people to see when you're doing your art that you're a person and that you're having yeah. a good time doing it. Yeah. And like, in uh, exactly, man. I mean, people, people come to see you because, and you don't know what the fuck's going on in their life. I mean, they might just be coming to see you because they're like, Hey man, I like this band. I'm just going to go see this band. And there's nothing, nothing deeper. There's nothing below the surface of that necessarily, but someone could be having a really, really fucked up day or week or month or whatever. And they go to your show and that performance lifts them out of that. And I actually, uh, mm-hmm. I had a personal experience with that. And this is going to be kind of a weird band to, to bring up because it's like, I don't want to uh, position myself on this podcast as someone that like fucks with a lot of ska music. <laughs> but uh, have you ever heard of the Suicide Machines? I haven't. They're like, they're like a little bit more punk than they are ska. Like when I saw them, they didn't have a horn. So they were just a punk band. It's basically, that's the difference. It's like, you just, there's, I think the Onion did a really good, or the Hard Times did a really good article on that. They said, uh, Horn player stuck in traffic turns shitty ska band into all right punk band. <laughs> That's funny. But uh, no, I went, but I was having, man, I was having an awful day. I'd just gone through a breakup. I was like, just feeling really down. Like I felt like I was just like bummed out. I was like drinking a beer by myself in a parking lot, like uh, by Cafe Coco, which is right by the end where the show was happening. My friend mm-hmm. had texted me and he was like, he was like, hey, man. I know that you uh, used to like the suicide machines when we were kids, like they're playing the end right now. And I was like, what? And I ran over there and it was like the energy, the experience. I walked out of that show, you know, I paid $5 to get into. I mean, what a, what a fucking deal. I walked out of that show on top of the world. I didn't have a care in the world after like, you know, an hour and a half of just like sweating and just like listening to the music and just, cause it was, it was one of the most, like uh, everyone was vibing, like, and having a great time. So I don't know why I felt the need to tell that story other than, I guess, just to kind of buttress what you were saying that, you know, it it is performance. The performance has so much to do with it and the energy. I think that's an awesome story because you never know, especially with your art, um, because like it or not, um, when you start doing art or you become a musician, you become a symbol. 
in some aspect or another. So your message is very, very important. The more that your audience grows and the more people you reach your message and how you present yourself becomes even more important. So I think that's an awesome story because a lot, and to touch on, to familiarize with what you said, a lot of the lyrical content I have is, is around mental health. And it's not something you hear a lot, or maybe I haven't listened to enough bands, but in hardcore and metal, we don't talk about mental health a lot or how it's important that it's okay to have your bad days. It's okay to not be okay. And I've had a lot of people reach out to me, um, especially for a song we released about a year ago that we did a video for. And it's literally about killing myself, but they would reach out to me and say, Hey, you know, I love this song. The song has got me through a lot of hard times and you don't really realize when you're doing your art or you're expressing yourself or this might be the way I'm feeling is that you're touching all these people who are exactly the same as you. So it's important to get on that personal level and make people feel good that, that listen to your art and support you. So that's what all of our shows have always been about too, is being very inclusive rather than exclusive. Cause we want everyone to come and have a really, really good time and get violent and get sweaty yeah. and people get hurt, they get hurt, but it's great because this is our one place where we can just let everything go and then we can just all enjoy the music and we don't have to worry about things outside. So if something was bothering me that day, we're going to go to this show and we're going to be violent yeah. and then we're going to leave and we're going to feel better. And that's been, and that's also like, that's just got to feel good to have someone hit you up and be like, Hey, you help me out with this thing, you know, like, especially if it's a mental health type thing, because oftentimes it's really hard for uh, anyone to reach out and make someone feel better. And it's interesting how, artists that uh you know an artist you've never met can do that for you in a way that like even a loved one can't you know absolutely it's it's that connection music is so powerful that Actually, just by hearing it no you go, go ahead. ahead no 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 you you, you. <laughs> i was just gonna say music is so powerful that it, it it bridges this gap of connection that we may not be able to feel with other people in our lives or immediately our immediate family members music is that powerful it's such an emotional connection to something. I do want to uh, ask one thing about uh, hard reset right now. <clears throat> and uh, like I said, I didn't realize that you were in the middle of uh, getting a degree in uh, criminal justice. So like, obviously you're busy as fuck with that, but like, you know, and, and also like during the past year, you guys wouldn't have had any opportunity to tour because of all the venues being closed, but is, are there going to be, are there going to be opportunities for you guys to tour now that like it's an option again, or like, how's that, how's that kind of, is there like a schedule that you guys are working with? Um, the pandemic actually proved to be um, a really successful time for us. Um, as much as we weren't out playing shows, it was actually a nice break to be honest. Um, I'm not big on leaving my house. I don't like going anywhere. Yeah. So it was, it was a nice break for us and it was a pretty successful year, but to answer your question, we do. We are actually starting to book weekend runs because we all have full-time jobs and yeah. we have things that we do outside our lives that consume us. Um, and so we actually have some dates for Nashville and then we're booking weekend runs and we have two dates in Florida that we're doing in October. So we're trying not to overbook ourselves, but in the same, in the same realm, um, we're booking because we're ready to play again. So that's what's in the future for us. Uh, 
you guys have a website, right? Like the people can just check your tour dates. Uh, we, so what we do is since we don't actually have a, a website, we post everything on our social media. So Instagram or Facebook, we, when the flyers get made, we'll post them. Typically we post them in our story or if the closer to the time they come, we'll make posts about them. Um, because it okay. seems to be more impactful when it gets closer to time because I could post something now that's four months away. Someone's like, oh, they're going to play and then they'll forget about it kind of closer to yeah. time. Yeah, that, that is the nature of it, man. You got to let people know like the week you're going to do it so they can make real plans. Uh, right. Norman, I got something to tell you, dude. It's time for the lightning round. So uh, in honor of Metallica, but not really in honor of them, it's time to ride the lightning. And I'm pretty sure you're aware of how this part of the uh, podcast goes. I ask you questions super fast. You don't have any time to think. You got to answer gut reactions. So so it's not cerebral, man. It's purely uh, gut instinct. So you ready to play? I'm ready. All right. Uh, first one. Pantera is the Stevie Ray Vaughan of metal. Can you elaborate on that? <laughs> I have no idea what that means. Okay. That's always an option, man. Uh, <laughs> and I can move on to the next one. Well, because, you know, like how Stevie Ray Vaughan is like the... Because he's like a country boy, but he does rock and roll. Oh, okay, okay. And like Pantera is like metal, but they're pretty country boy-ish too, I think. I Yes, I, I'll agree with that. Sorry. Sorry for messing up the first question. You, there's there really, honestly, there's no wrong answers because you are the uh, North American ambassador of metal. So whatever you say goes. <clears throat> uh, here's another. This is good. This is a good metal question. How pissed were you when you found out that cilantro removes heavy metal from your body? Are you like sort of pissed? I'm very pissed. Uh, <laughs> not affected. Oh, okay. Never mind. Because I'll, I, I'm not good at this. I'm no, really it's sorry. not you, man. I, I, I wrote, I just don't know how to write a fucking <laughs> interview. All right. What was the best adaptation of a video game to a movie? You definitely got to have an opinion on this one. I do adaptation of a video game to a, so a, a movie made from a video game like uh and i think the way i mean it is like like a movie that was made out of a video game that like the movie was also really fucking good and it wasn't just like oh okay i like this video game i'll watch this movie it's like the movie's a standalone good movie too so this is my answer and it may not be everyone's answer but i thought the harry potter game on playstation one was a really good game and i thought the movie was a really good movie the sorcerer's stone that is Not the very most metal. I get it. Those are the most unexpected answer I could possibly. <laughs> All right, cool, man. Uh, I appreciate you going off the fucking wall on that one. Can I can I can I say mine? Absolutely. I'm still gonna just say I'm gonna go with Resident Evil, the first one. I'm gonna always hold it down as that was just like that was really good. I thought. Uh, Resident Evil one, two, and Nemesis were amazing games. Yeah, I've, I honestly, I haven't really played that game much. Like, I remember I played like the very first one that ever came out. And it was the first time that I f- thought a video game was kind of like scary. And it was the it was the music, too, because the game's not scary. It's just cartoons, you know, like the zombies don't look real. You know, that was back like way, way back. That was like I don't even, can't remember what system that was on because I didn't even own it. And but the music is just like super eerie, like horror movie music. So I was playing it getting like spooked. Like not like <laughs> sure they had jump scares and all of that. I small story really quick. So I actually when we had 
before consoles, really, we had PCs. And I remember downloading the demo or the trial version of Resident Evil 2 on my computer. And I was so young that I that the screen popped up and said it was a warning that said for violence and gore. And I didn't realize what gore meant. And I thought they meant Al Gore That's because I do see him. So I was, I was just a kid and I was like, Al Gore, I don't get it. And so I just play the game. And so that's a small tidbit from my life. I know what gore means now, but not back then. And honestly, man, uh, Rockstar Games, if you're listening, not only do I want to um, be in Grand Theft Auto 6, but if you could start putting into development a violent game where the protagonist is Al Gore, that would be fucking dope. I'd play it. I don't know how large the audience would be, but you know, you never know until you try. <laughs> and it finally, it finally makes sense how I felt when I was a kid. And finally, be oh, that's what they meant. There's Al Gore. <laughs> it's just Al Gore going around like killing people that like uh, are causing climate change and like in these like horrific scenarios. All right, man. Do you think the South American ambassador of metal should be from Sepultura, or do you think you should represent South America as well? I'll say Sepultura because they're an awesome band too. Yeah, they fucking rule, dude. That was actually one of my very first uh, metal bands I ever got into, and I was like, "What the hell is this?" I got, on, I had that on like a cassette tape, dude. Uh, Biotech is Godzilla. I don't know if Axe, I don't know if Guns and Roses counts as like being in like in the metal world, but I can, I can go ahead and ask you this question: If what this guy did was metal, and the question is, when Axl Rose tried to beat up Kurt Cobain, was Axl Rose being metal? Or was Axl Rose being a bitch? Um, he was he was being a child. <laughs> Sorry, that's, exactly, I, that's what I that's what Kurt Cobain said. Yeah, <laughs> Kurt Cobain. I think he like famously said something like, "Hey, man, I'm not in sixth grade. I'm not going to fight you." <laughs> Perfect. Oh, man. Yeah. Of all people, Kurt Cobain, though. Of all people, especially I think Axl Rose was upset that you know because he had once you know at that you know like not long before he had been the most famous rock star in the whole world. And now here comes this like unassuming fucking dude in a cardigan from Seattle, just stealing the fucking show. And that's, I think that's why he wanted to fight him. And there were two completely separate styles of music too. Yeah. And (laughs) Uh, well, shit, man, the most important thing of all to ask is Norman. uh, Is there anybody you want to shout out? How can people find you? How can people find your music? And also just like literally anything that you want to let people know about now is uh, this is your time to say all of the shout outs and all of the stuff. Oh, well, um, not one for talking myself up, but uh, to give shout outs, I guess um, uh, we talked about my own music a lot. So Hard Reset and the dudes in Hard Reset, um, Elijah, Seeger and David all fantastic musicians and fantastic people. So shout out to them. Um, Seeger is actually someone who's helped me a lot in the past two years when it's come, comes to mixing and producing music and kind of venturing out there on my own for, for work. So I have to shout him out too, because he's an amazing friend and a friend of mine named Sam Schneider. He goes by Sammy slam dance in the metal community, really silly guy, but stand up person, amazing person. And shout out to my wife, because if I guess if she didn't do this podcast, uh, I wouldn't be here with you doing this podcast today. And she's obviously my best friend, of course. Oh, yeah. So dude, shout I wanna, out to her. 
can I give her a shout out too? I want to give a shout out to mm-hmm. Sharon too for believing in this podcast back when it was like just barely a dream, you know. And now it's like going, you know, like now people, you know, fucking check it out and it's popular and like that makes me really happy. And so, like, so yeah, big shout out to uh, Sharon for coming on on episode three when nobody knew what the fuck I was even doing with this thing. <laughs> yeah, she's she's amazing. She's one of the most supportive people I've ever met, and I'm not surprised that you being her friend, she wasn't extremely supportive of you or there to help you out. And that's awesome. Yeah. She's, she's an incredible person. I'm very lucky for her to be my wife. Well, uh, Norman, I just got to say, it's been a pleasure talking to you, man. I think, uh, I just got to say thank you for taking the time out of your day to come on the podcast. You gave me a lot to think about. And I also appreciate you being the North American ambassador for metal. I know you never asked to be that, even though I asked you to be that. So shit, man, I guess, uh, have a fantastic day and everyone listening and if, if uh, check out hard reset on social media and if they come to your town, go check them out. Cause it'll blow your fucking mind. Thank you. I appreciate you having me too. Thank you for listening to my views are my own. Today's outro song is terminate by hard reset. And if you want to contact me, go to my views or on Instagram at my views are my own underscore podcast or on Twitter at my views underscore podcast. And that's all I got to say. So here is terminate by hard reset.
Oh, God! 